present to you this program today. Now, I am no expert. Matt is the expert in this. We've just put it together. I've helped him. Um, for a long time, we have thought that I considered getting a defibrillator for our church. Uh, you know, things happen. As we get older, we may have an event, a heart attack event here at our church. And we felt that if that happens, then we all need to know how to rescue each other. And so for today, we bring in this program to you. Um, I hope none of us need to be rescued. I hope we're all going to be healthy and, and die a natural death. But just in case that's not the case, we want to know how to resuscitate each other. And Brother Matt is doing the hard work today, and uh, he's going to teach us all how to do that. I hope that we all resp are responsive to this, including our young people especially, because with us all getting older, our young people know how to, need to know how to keep us alive, you know, to live another day. So I hope we can all pay attention. I hope we can all listen, watch Brother Matt as he presents this program to you today. I'll be watching too. Thank you. I'd like, I'd like to read one more scripture from, for you, with you. You can read it too. Psalms 139, starting in verse 13. Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. And it says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. So let's talk about cardiovascular health for just a brief moment. The heart is a very, not a real big organ. It's probably about the size of your fist right in the center of your chest, right? We're all familiar with that thing. plays a pretty important role in life, right? But sometimes for a variety of reasons, choices we've made in our diet or things we've done or just simply the way life has presented us genetic challenges, right? Um, or it could be an accident of any kind. Your heart doesn't do the work it should. So there's been a lot of research and a lot of science put behind what I'm going to demonstrate for you this morning to help people who have had a cardiac arrest have a, as good a chance of survival as we can, and that's called CPR. So I'm going to give you a few statistics here talking about cardiac arrest. My sources tell me that approximately every 40 seconds, someone is having a heart attack. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death in the United States of America. And the latest numbers, more than 380,000 people suffer from sudden cardiac arrest annually outside the hospital setting, okay? So out in the community, at home, wherever you are, outside of the hospital. Over 380,000. However, CPR can double or even triple a person's chance of survival. All right? 
46% of outside hospital cardiac arrest, 46% of people that suffered a cardiac arrest outside the hospital um, lived to survival when bystander CPR was performed. So the numbers aren't great, but 46% is a lot better than a zero, right? Uh, First off, I'm going to have Josh, we're going to show two videos, both put out by the American Heart Association. They're very short. One's three minutes, one's a minute and a half, talking about the goal of getting to zero deaths because of cardiac arrest outside of the hospital. Go ahead, Josh. Let me tell you something. I want to give you something to think about. It's a number, a big number, about 475,000. 475,000 isn't just a number, it's people. People who died from cardiac arrest in one year in the United States. Big number, bigger opportunity. Because we can get that number down to zero. We can save all those lives. We can create a world where no one dies from cardiac arrest. Am I dreaming? No, I'm not a dreamer. I'm a visionary. And I'm asking you to be too. I want you to see it first, that world, and then do your part to make it happen. I need you to believe in your heart that it is possible. And then focus all you do, help focus all we do on that goal on saving every single one of those people. Because we can do it. It is within our reach. How do we get there? You know how we get there. We'll create systems that automatically detect cardiac arrest and activate an emergency response. We'll mobilize an army of trained and prepared responders to provide immediate CPR and defibrillation. This means pairing 911 response with bystanders through mobile technology ensuring public access to AEDs, and more training through schools and kiosks. We'll remove barriers to getting bystanders engaged, creating tri-standers in the general public. We'll eliminate preventable cardiac arrests in hospitals using monitoring for early detection and rapid response teams that will stabilize patients immediately. We'll make sure all healthcare providers deliver high-quality CPR with innovative quality improvement tools and sessions. And finally, We'll personalize resuscitation to each patient, leveraging the latest technology to identify and treat underlying causes. To get that 475,000 down to zero, it starts with you right now. You're doing good work. We do good work. That has laid the groundwork for us to be truly extraordinary. Believe in the vision. Let it drive everything you do each day. Let it rise up in you like a shout, joining the voices of your colleagues, teammates, neighbors, and family, and then look around. See that number start to decline, life by precious life, bit by bit, until that one glorious day when everyone who would have died before all this work instead wakes up groggy and thankful in a hospital to greet his or her family and we arrive gloriously at zero. Because of you, because of our vision, a world where no one dies from cardiac arrest.
Let's get started. The next video we're going to see is a, a survivor story of what can be done with bystander CPR. CPR saved my son's life. It was a Friday afternoon and my husband David and I were both at work. Our 15-year-old son Justin was at home with our other kids and some friends. The kids were in the backyard playing with a lacrosse ball. It was a day like any other until something happened. It was a perfect storm. The ball hit Justin in the chest in the exact location at the exact millisecond of his heart's rhythm. This is a condition known as commotio cordis. Call 911. Thankfully, the other children acted immediately. Justin's friend called 911. I don't know what happened. While my daughter called my husband. That second call proved fateful because my husband was able to get in touch with our neighbor who ran across the street and started CPR. That CPR kept blood circulating to Justin's vital organs until first responders arrived. The paramedics quickly shocked Justin's heart rhythm back to normal. He suffered complications and he was admitted to the hospital for 10 days. But now he has made a full recovery. Since that day, I found that I've changed as a parent. I worry more than I used to now. This was such a freak accident that it could happen to anyone. So we're doing what we can to encourage as many people as possible to learn this life-saving skill of CPR. David and I feel so very fortunate to still have our son with us. If the kids didn't know to call 911, Justin wouldn't be here. If our neighbor didn't know CPR, Justin wouldn't be here. I encourage everyone to take the time to learn CPR. You could save a life, maybe the life of someone you love. Now that you can see what I'm going to do, today we are going to learn CPR. So cardiac arrest, when your heart isn't beating like it's supposed to, can be caused from a variety of reasons. Um, When we get to adulthood, the most common cause is because of cardiovascular disease, a heart attack, you know, blocked arteries in the heart. When you get into your younger ages, it's more probably a genetic issue or a freak accident. Um, It could be from a traumatic injury of some kind. Whatever the reason, we can do something to help these patients, these people, survive. So the church recently purchased an AED that is here in the church. How many of you have seen that mounted on the wall? All right. After today, I hope you won't be afraid to use it. So, How many of you are trained in CPR? Have had any kind of training? All right. I will, this is a disclaimer. This session is not a certification process. It'll give you the tools that you need to know what to do in an emergency. And if I have enough interest here, I do have contacts that I can set up a certification class. So just come and see me afterwards if that's, if that's something you're interested in. So I have my mannequin. This is actually a child mannequin. You'll just have to bear with me for the sake of our demonstration, but the process is still the same. 
First part or link in the chain of survival, as they teach us, is recognition. All right? Pretty obvious if somebody's not moving or breathing, that would probably indicate they probably, their heart's not working, right? So the first step is, the next step then, after you recognize, you want to make sure they're just not playing a trick on somebody, right? And just, or sleeping in the back seat there. Hey, are you okay? Wake up! Did anybody see any response after that? No, no neither did I. The next step is, Joy, call 911 and get the AED. All right? Since we have one, we can use one. The next thing you're going to do is you're going to look for signs of breathing. Can t- somebody tell me what a, an obvious sign of breathing is. Erica. If the chest is moving. You got it. If the chest is moving, obvious signs of breathing, okay? So if there's breathing going on, then they might just have some other issue going on, and we probably don't have to worry quite so much about their heart right now. But if they're not breathing, the next thing you're going to do is you're going to go ahead and start CPR. All right? Now, in adults and children, we perform alternating components here of chest compressions and breaths, rescue breaths, okay? So we'll start with chest compressions. First thing you're going to do, well, you've got to make sure you find your landmarks. On my mannequin here, you're going to, sometimes you, if you need to, you can follow the rib up to the sternal notch. I don't know if you can all feel that right there. You're going to go above that, right in the center of the chest, with the heel of your hand. You're going to put your hands together like that, all right? You're going to push hard and push fast, Okay? The, the guideline is from 100 to 120 compressions a minute, but I really think it would be silly of us to sit there with our stopwatch and say, you got to go a little faster. If you can just imagine, just think in your head, push hard, push fast, you'll be doing okay. All right? You're going to give that person a lot better chance than that they've got right now. So pushing hard and pushing fast. One and two and three and four and five and six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty. All right. It's gonna get a good workout if you're doing this for a while. To do an effective compression though, put your hands like that, like I said. Pushing hard, we say at least a third to about half the depth of the chest if you can get to that point. Two inches is probably about where you're going to end up at. When you, it's important also to make sure you let the chest fully recoil. Does anybody have any questions when I say the word recoil? What sometimes can happen is if you are pushing on the chest hard and fast and you keep pressure on that chest, what you're literally doing when you're doing CPR is you're compressing the heart between the sternum and the backbone. And every time you release, blood comes into the heart. When you push, blood goes out of the heart. See how that works? Pretty cool. If you don't completely let the uh, pressure up, you're not letting blood adequately fill that heart. Does that make sense? You don't need to come up every time either because that's just going to be even more tiring. So just make sure you get a good recoil, all right? Um, after you've done 30 compressions, we then go to our breathing. 
This is a little different from what they had taught when I first started CPR. They always taught the ABCs. First, you open the airway and look. No. More time is wasted doing that because their heart's not beating, right? So we're going to start with the compressions first. When you go to do the breathing, in our compartment out there in the lobby, we have pocket masks. There's two of them in there, um, and there's also another little kit that I'll get into in a second. But you'll need one of these to do your breathing unless you really don't, aren't worried about mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. But we do have barrier devices in the cabinet, okay? So they're going to come collapsed. It's just a simple pop it out. Uh, mine has a little one-way valve in here. So to open the airway, you're going to tilt the head and lift the chin. All right? How many of you have ever walked into a bakery or a restaurant or a kitchen and smelled something good? What do you do? Mm. that's called the sniffing position and that's the way you want their head okay and then you're going to place the mask on the bridge of the nose the pointy part on the bridge of the nose holding that with one hand kind of like a C you can put your hand on his forehead if you want to to make sure it stays there and then pinching the bottom part to his chin you're going to give two slow breaths They recommend about a second each. What you want to make sure is that that chest rises with each breath. All right? Now, I am borrowing this equipment from the ARPAN Fire Department. So if you see anybody from the ARPAN Fire Department, tell them thank you. Two breaths. Helps if you have a good seal. All right, I don't know if you can see from the back how the chest rises, all right? You want to make sure it's slow and steady because if you're breathing fast and hard because you're panicking, more than likely that air is not going to go into his lungs. Some of it's going to go into his stomach, and his stomach really doesn't need any air at any point in time. So two slow breaths. After you've got those two in, what do we do next? Alternate back to 30 compressions, all right? Do you want me to go through that a couple times just so you get the idea? All right, here we go. So let's start from the beginning. Bobby, Bobby, are you okay? There's no response. Joy, call 911 and get the AED. We're looking for signs of breathing. I don't see any. Okay, we're going to start CPR. One and two and three and four and five and six and seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. All right. All right, and that cycle would continue. 30 compressions, two breaths. 30 compressions, two breaths. Now, like I said, that's going to get tiring pretty quickly. So I'm part of the code team in the hospital. We will literally rotate out people doing compressions every two minutes. All right? Because when you start to get tired, guess what happens to the effectiveness of your compressions? It goes down. 
All right? So if there is somebody else there that's comfortable or knows what they're doing, by all means, the more the merrier, all right? So now let's talk about the AED because we have one. This is a trainer. This is not exactly like the one we have out in the foyer, but it operates the same way. So the first thing you're going to do when you get it here, you're going to open it up, and you're going to push the power button. That's the first step. Some of them out in the community, some manufacturers make it so as soon as you open it up, the machine turns on. Ours is not like that. You have to push the power button. All right? And as that's warming up, you will get your pads out that you need, electrodes. And that's what it's going to tell you. All right? Now, I'm going to turn this back off because this one is kind of broken, and it's going to just keep saying connect electrodes until the cows come home. So connecting the electrodes, well, actually, first what you'll want to do is you want to put them on. These, most manufacturers have nice stick, uh, pictures on all the stickers. I don't know if you can see them, but it shows exactly where they need to be placed, okay? This is for an adult, pa- uh, an adult patient. We do also carry um, pediatric electrodes for somebody smaller, and those also have pictures, and I'll get into that in a little bit. So you take it off the sticky part. Put it right on the patient. And ideally, somebody else is doing CPR if they are knowing how to do this. All right, so that is exactly how they need to be put on. One up here and one on the side, left side. And then they will be plugged in. And you'll hear it click. And once it's connected, it usually will notice that, hey, I sense something going on here, and it'll, tell, it'll prompt you to, it'll either tell you to push, there's an analyze button, you push that, and you just follow the prompts, it tells you what to do. Um, some of them are automatically will start to analyze, and it'll tell you to don't touch the patient, all right? At which point you don't touch the patient, because that electrical interference could throw the machine off. And what these things will do they're looking for two different electrical rhythms through the heart, all right? Ventricle fibrillation and ventricle tachycardia. Have you heard of those? V-fib, V-tac? Those of you who work in the medical field probably have. Well, what it does is if it senses those rhythms, it'll tell you to shock, and it'll tell you to clear the patient, and it'll, you'll hear it warming up, and it'll say, shock now, clear patient. And then you push the shock button, button and it will give an electrical shock. The idea is it'll actually reset the heart. How many of you are familiar with how the heart functions? It's pretty cool. So there's a built-in electrical system in your heart and sometimes that gets thrown off for whatever reason whether it's uh, like the blockage causes some some damage to the heart muscle, whatnot. Um, It's pretty cool. So there's three Kathy, help me out. Three or four different nodes in the heart. At least three, right? All right, so if the first one fails, guess what? The second one picks up. The second one fails, the third one picks up. The heart does a lot to to help keep itself going. It's pretty amazing, actually, if you do some studying. But uh, this device, like I said, will, when you deliver the shock, it'll reset the heart and ideally have it start, start over. Okay? After you've delivered the shock, it's going to tell you to guess what? 
resume CPR. So get back on the chest and do 30 more compressions. All right? It's pretty simple when you think about what everything could be going on. And, um, I thought I was going to talk about something else. Oh, how about a child? If you have a child patient that's small, okay? So let's say uh, you have a... Sometimes we run into situations where the patient, the patient is so small that these pads overlap, all right? You don't want that to happen, all right? That's not good. What you'll do, if you can't place them next to each other like that, You'll put one on the front, so the one that goes up here will go right on the front, right in the middle, and the other one will go on the back. And it's just the same process. A couple other things that we need to think about when using the defibrillator. I don't know if those were supposed to be put on there or not, but I did. Um, Our AED also has a little kit of tools to use. There's some scissors if you need to cut clothing. There is a towel, because oftentimes when somebody has a heart attack, they start to sweat. All right? They become very what we call diaphoretic. So if they're very sweaty, let me ask you, does electricity and water go together? No. So the towel is there to wipe the chest off, then put the patch on. Sometimes people have um, medication patches, maybe pain or whatever pain patches, if that is in an area that you want to put that electrode, take it off, take off, if you can, that medication patch, wipe it off, then put the patch on. Does that make sense? Um, There are some gentlemen out there that have very hairy chests. These do not always like to stick to hairy chests. So we actually have a razor in that kit as well. You will need to shave an area so you can get this to stick. Because it's very important. I mean, we can, we can, you know, we can talk and say how it's kind of funny, but their heart is literally not beating, so if we don't do this properly, it's not going to work. We're not doing our patients any service, right? Um, trying to think if there's anything else. Joy, can you think of anything else? Sure, sure. With, uh, with a small child, say Jonas's size, you may not need to use two hands. When you're doing compressions, another thing I thought, notice how I'm right over the patient with my shoulders pushing straight down. If you're off to the side, this is probably not going to work so well. Most likely, they're going to be on the floor already, so you can kneel over them and do CPR quite effectively like that. Okay? I'm just having this patient up on the table so you can see a little easier. With a child, you, it is acceptable just to use one hand and do compression like that. All right? Now, if you are a smaller person, you don't have as much strength, you may need to use two hands. If we have an infant, we have babies coming through quite frequently, Right? Um, what that, that's a little different yet. To do compressions on a small baby, you'll use either two fingers, first two or your middle two fingers, right in that same area, and you'll just push down on the baby's chest. Um, sometimes, like some of our doctors up at the hospital, 
Uh, they have taught using thumb and circling the chest. You can do that, but that I would not recommend for most because that gets very tiring very quickly. Um, if you're all at all getting fatigued doing this or doing this, it is acceptable to use you know, the next step up, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Does anybody have any questions about CPR and an AED? Dagny. I'm glad you asked. So to go off of that question, what you'll do is you will continue to do CPR and follow the prompts on the AED. Okay, I'm sorry. Her question was uh, about uh, when do you stop or when do you check for responsiveness once you've started CPR, and that's a very good question. You will continue to do CPR. How many compressions? You were listening. And how many breaths? Very good. 30 and 2, you're going to keep doing that until one of a couple of things happens. Probably the most likely thing is going to be that the ambulance is going to get here before we get too far into our cycle, okay? I mean, there are still a couple minutes out, but when you're doing CPR, that time flies awfully fast, I tell you what. Um, the second thing you would do is maybe that initial shock brought them back, all right? Brought back, restarted the heart, and then they'll start opening their eyes and doing that, whatnot, but I, the research has showed that you continue to do CPR until they start moving and still you, until you start seeing signs of life. Does that make sense? Because after that initial shock, once it's reset, it still may take a little bit of time for the, the pressure to build back up in your blood system and, and circulation system. And Does that make sense? Any other questions? Vicky. I have, yep, don't give up, Vicky said. Um, 30 minutes plus we've had, I've been in uh, situations where we've uh, coded a patient over an hour and brought them back. All right, I'm not saying that that's going to be the case for everybody because it all kind of depends on what's going on inside. But, you know, the best we can do is doing CPR and hook that AED up. These things are lifesavers, I tell you what. Any other questions? Carl. If you find anybody, anybody at all, that is not breathing, no responsiveness, yes, you will do CPR. It doesn't matter what the case is, whatever. Uh, you know, we've been hearing about this, uh, this opiate crisis, right? All right, that might be a prime example if you're in Walmart or wherever, you know, out in a county park and you see somebody, you know, down. Who knows what it could be? It could be a drowning. It could be a, a medication overdose. It could be a cardiac arrest from a, a heart attack. The same, it's going to be the same. 30 compressions, two breaths, no matter what. Uh, one little caveat I guess I will say is if you have somebody that's choking, all right, what are you going to do for choking? The Heimlich Maneuver, right? How many of you are familiar with the Heimlich Maneuver? Ever, anybody ever have to do the Heimlich Maneuver? One, couple, maybe? All right. Not a pleasant experience. I will attest to that. So what happens if there's something stuck in the airway for a long period of time? Eventually that person is going to pass out, right? If you can't get it out. 
Well, what happens then? I mean, you know what the problem is, but after they pass out, usually their brain and their vital organs are getting starved of oxygen, so we, they're not going to be breathing. So you're going to, again, start CPR. When you do your rescue breathings, it is acceptable to take a moment, peek in the mouth, see if you see anything. And if you are brave enough to go digging for it or fishing for it, only if you see something that's not supposed to be there. All right? Why do you think that is? You've been doing 30 good, hard compressions, squishing whatever air is in their chest may have dislodged that piece of fruit or that whatever. All right? So if you see something in the airway, go fish and get a finger in there, do a little fish hook maneuver, see if you can get it out. But only if you see it. If you don't see anything, stay well enough away from that. Try to just give those two breaths and continue the cycle. Does that make sense? I'm trying to think what else I can say. Yes, Vicki? What do we do if we can't find the mask, the barrier device to put over their mouth and their nose? So there's a couple of trains of schools of thought on that. Some, uh, they, they do teach some lay person CPR that you can just do compressions, all right? Compressions is going to be better than nothing. If you feel comfortable enough, do mouth to mouth, all right? If it's a, a larger person or a larger child, you'll have to pinch their nose, cover their mouth with your mouth, and give the same two breaths as you would with the mask. If it's a smaller child, smaller baby, you will have to probably cover mouth and nose with your mouth. Does that make sense? Any other questions? I like this. I like teaching. Jonas? We'll cover that at a different time. All right. Um, with our AED, like I said, we have one set of adult pads. We have one that's already loaded in it, so all you have to do, it's already even plugged in, so actually all you have to do is you have to open it up, turn it on, stick the pads on, and the way it should go. All right? Yes, Carl. It does. The question was about the batteries. They do. They are used. They when I put it all together, they're just little Duracell batteries. I don't remember specifically the size, but they will have to do a periodic monthly check, and we will have to iron out all those details. It's a very simple step to check the battery. You push and hold the power button for about five seconds and let it go, and then a little indicator on the handle turns red, and then in a couple seconds more, it'll say. Unit, okay, or whatever the process is. And it'll tell you if the battery's low. It'll tell you if there's a problem. They're very smart machines. So th- there's a little indicator light on the handle. Like this one here shows it. It's right about here. The one on ours, I think it's off to the side a little bit, and it's a, usually a green check mark. Otherwise, it'll be a red X that'll tell you that there's a problem. Any other questions? Moving a patient or not moving a patient? In most cases, if you find somebody that is down, all right, you don't suspect that they're breathing or have a pulse, the only thing that you'll need to do as far as moving a patient is getting them onto their back so you can do CPR. 
In the healthcare side of things, we we look at a couple other uh, uh, things. Like if you if you just come upon somebody, you don't know if they got hit by a truck. If you don't you don't know if they got in a fight with somebody or what the problem is. So we take a few extra precautions. But you know, for this purpose, we're just going to roll them onto their back and do what we need to to open their airway. With the exception of if uh, let's say somebody's in a puddle of water. Again, does electricity and water mix? No. In that case, you will have to move them out of the water, dry off what you need to before you use the AED. All right? Jonas. If there's no AED around, then you still go through the process. You have somebody call 911, and you just do CPR until... Help gets there, they wake up, or you've been doing CPR so long you're just too fatigued to move on. All right? Hopefully that doesn't happen, but here in the town it shouldn't. If I don't have any other questions, I think we will have our closing song and a prayer. And again, if you are interested in having getting piece of paper that's saying you are certified in CPR, see me afterwards, and we will make that happen. So our closing hymn is number 626.